Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. All right, welcome back, Solar Warrior. Thank you so much for lending me your ears and the only non-renewable resource that you've got, and that's your time. I promise that we are going to take good care of it. And if you're new here, I expect you're going to get a ton of value, especially from today's episode. So I want to thank you for a chance to earn your attention. Today's clean energy expert is a guy I've gotten to know over the years and watch him mature and grow. Miles Braxton leads the risk management for Goldman Sachs Renewable Power Group or GSRPG. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. But an interesting fact that I didn't know until recently is that GSRP is the largest commercial solar asset owner in the United States and had the most solar capacity under construction in the country in 2021. And for those of you who are familiar with our good friend, Mike Silvestrini, GSRP has a huge portfolio of his past company, Green Skies. We might talk a little bit about that too. But you know, the thing that originally attracted me to Miles, besides his dashing good looks, is that he is also a co-founder of an organization called Black Oak Collective, a network of black professionals, which partners with corporates, and nonprofits to help increase black talent on their teams and provide educational opportunities for young black professionals. If you like this, then you are in the right place. I would encourage you to go ahead and subscribe to the show. Many of you are listening probably in Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and they make it super, super easy. Uh, you know, it's just kind of like that YouTube video that the guy always says, tap the bell or hit subscribe. Just go ahead and do that in your podcast player, please, because it does help us get found by other erstwhile energy entrepreneurs and uh, career seekers like yourself. We publish content twice a week just like this, and you can check out more than 450 additional founder stories and startup advice over at mysuncast.com. For now, let's get ready to tune up your skills, Solar Warrior, as we tune into another powerful conversation here on Suncast. All right, all right. As I said, my friend Miles Braxton is joining us from sunny South Florida. Welcome to the show, Miles. Thanks for having me, Nico. Always a pleasure to hop on and, and chat with you. Yeah, man. Long time coming. We've had you as a panelist on a number of our live streams, but never as a guest on the show. And I'm really stoked. You know, you are one of what I consider to be the up and coming class of energy entrepreneur that really represents what it looks like to develop a career that scales up in the industry. We'll talk a bit about how you kind of found your way through the various jobs and ultimately a Goldman Sachs, little known company in the, <laughs> in the banking industry and, and helping them as the risk manager. But before we do that, you grew up in Richmond, Virginia, not far from the Beltway and the craziness of, uh, of DC. When you were growing up, did you imagine that you would grow up into kind of a business and entrepreneur life or did you have some other vision or track for your life? I wanted to be an astronaut. And then I, you know, finally slowly found out that the the six four two forty frame wasn't quite uh, ideal for the astronaut life. Yeah, they they don't like glasses either. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, you got to be able to see, I guess. That often explains why you often think uh, out of this world. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, you're good. You're good. You got big dreams, man. You got big dreams. Did your parents 
encourage you in in any particular way as a child from a, from a dreamer perspective? I mean, to be an astronaut, to be a kid that can envision himself being an astronaut, I have to imagine either you were just a hyperactive kid and they had no way of controlling you, or you grew up in a family that really fostered that idea that you could be anything. I did. And, you know, definitely the latter. I have three parents uh, I'm all very close with, and two of them are lawyers. And my mom was in medical school for a little bit. So three parents really put a value on education mm-hmm. and it showed, you know, in their, in their success and just, you know, being able to be around them. I feel like it's not an opportunity that a lot of people have to have those close relatives. Um, you yeah. see the fruits of their labor, you know, you know, the hard work that they put in and you see the results of that. And that just pushes you harder to become your own person and build, build your own path. Yeah. Well. I noticed that it wasn't long after college that you joined us here in the solar revolution. I'm curious, when were you first exposed to the idea of clean energy or maybe even directly solar power? How did you decide that that's where you were going to focus your career? Yeah, this is a cool story. And back in high school, um, as early as I believe it was 10th grade, my math teacher, who was also a, a black teacher, you know, from from Richmond, um, who I was just really able to, to hit it off with and connect with. And also kind of a nerd, you know, leader of the robotics club that I was on. He had bought, this was back in, I want to say 2011, 2012. Uh, he bought a Chevy Volt and that was revolutionary. Whoa, that's early, at the yeah. Time. Yeah. And I remember every day, Mr. Stevens, he would come in and write a tick mark on the chalkboard for every time he didn't have to, per- every day he didn't have to purchase gas. And by the like halfway through the quarter, we couldn't use half of the chalkboard because he was no it was way. just filled up with That's you know so cool. it's sixty ticks marks. So what an object lesson! That's really amazing. Yeah, yeah. You visualize it, you see it. And me and my best friend William uh, used to stay, who actually is an engineer for Boeing now. We used to stay back and uh, we're like, okay, Mr. Stevens, what's going on with this EV thing? Like, we need to know more about it. Cause this is just yeah. ridiculous. You know, we've seen gas prices, you know, how are you getting off on this? <laughs> you know, tell us what's going on. So, um, I mean, already in 10th grade, we were doing calculations after school about, you know, what's if there are 50,000 Mr. Stevens in the U S what does the CO2 outlook look like in 2050 and 2060? So that was something that I was thinking about at a young age and, already from that wanted to figure out how I could best impact the carbon outlook in, in the U.S. and in the world. I, I did a physics project in high school about, I guess, how different, different shapes uh, react to different wind forces to see kind of what shape of car would be the best type of design. So already thinking about ways that we can make daily life more efficient and cleaner. When I got to college, I started doing research uh, in a PP cell lab with the father of photonics, Dr. Mul Gupta. Um, and that really opened my eyes to the solar industry. Did you go to UVA because it was the hometown place or because you wanted to go study under Dr. Gupta? What, what drove that decision? I was fortunate to get a scholarship to go to, to school. So um, in UVA, UVA offered me that. And uh, it, was, it was a really great opportunity to be kind of close to home, an hour outside of Richmond but still really kind of siloed in a university community um, at a big school where I knew there were opportunities to grow. And, you know, one of the things that I wanted to challenge myself with being, having gone to, you know, majority black high school, um, probably 98%, 
was experience what, you know, a microcosm of the real world would be like. And, and UVA was a, a spitting uh, image of that um, definitely opened my eyes to some things. So uh, I definitely think it prepared me to, to excel in, in this environment. I'm going to have to ask, I'm going to, we haven't talked about this, but I'm going to have to ask you to introduce me to Dr. Gupta. Uh, I sure. think he'd be a phenomenal interview guest for the show. For those who are unfamiliar, and there are many, why don't you give like a quick one minute overview of Gupta and, and why you call him the father of photonics? So he actually wrote the first book on photonics. And I guess they, they coined him the father of photonics after that. I guess this was uh, my first year in college. Uh, he had received a grant from the Department of Defense uh, to look at perovskite solar cells and try and increase their their life duration. Uh, one of the big things about perovskite is that it degrades so quickly, and we were looking at solutions to to protect that that perovskite layer for extended hours, so we could you know have, it could have in a commercial application, and uh, we did a bunch of things like different annealing methods, um, like very, very much laboratory, electrical engineering, mundane stuff. <laughs> and that's when I realized I did not want to work in a lab for the rest of my life. <laughs> so <laughs> nice. uh, it was, nice uh, it was a learning experience. <laughs> nice segue. You know, uh, you and I met when you were a, I don't know, like an associate developer or something like that at Soul mm -hmm. Systems and in the business development team. Yep. Yeah. And you, you have, why don't you tell me about getting kind of arriving at Soul? And I think it probably is, is easy to say at this point that Soul is kind of what put you on the map in terms of like the regional developer community. 100%. Yeah. 100%. Tell me about yeah. the, the fortuitous or whatever nature, like how you actually got to Soul Systems. Cause that's that kind of yeah. step from, Studying at UVA photonics, like knowing that you want to be in the energy sector and realizing you don't want to be in the lab. You're not an engineer. You're not that engineer. Mm -hmm. How did you arrive at the development team of Seoul? Nico, it was a long process. It was frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> so throughout college, uh, you know, I, I knew that I wanted to work in the solar industry, just didn't know doing what, you know, what that would look like. So I had, you know, several internships unpaid. Um, I was just trying to get my foot in the door, uh, trying to get some experience so I can put it on my resume. But I had, you know, some great experience working with the DC Department of Energy and Environment, Montgomery County Department of Environmental Protection, which really opened up the door for me. And then the the U.S. Department of Energy um, with the Sunshot Initiative. Um, and those were really great opportunities, all with Kind of local and federal government levels and you know those kind of helped me understand that you know things kind of move slowly here and if i really want to make the mark that i want to make on the world it's going to have to be in the private sector and move at the speed that i want to move at when i graduated i applied for i want to say 76 different positions before i graduated uh, i was invited i was invited to four interviews um, and i had one job offer uh, paying minimum wage an hour and a half away from where I lived at the time. Uh, and it was a kind of a post-grad internship fellowship sort of ordeal. And you didn't take that, I'm guessing, or did you? I did take it. Uh, it was with the company called Itility. Uh, they had just got, uh, <laughs> they had just won a contract from the Maryland, the Maryland Department of Energy to convert 220 tons of chicken manure into electricity um, through anaerobic yeah. digestion. 
So um, I was tasked with doing a lot of the chemical analysis, uh, stoichiometry, energy mass balance stuff um, when it dealt with when it came to, okay, how much methane are we actually converting into electricity? Were you visiting farms and stuff like that as a part of this? Yeah. Yep. Yep. So we were going out to (laughs) going out to farms. I'm getting paid minimum wage, walking through literally tons of chicken poop. Literally um, got your shit kickers on. (laughs) <laughs> yes yes literally <laughs> um and oh, you know working with you know folks to transport the chicken poop to the anaerobic digester stations and designing out what the anaerobic digester is going to look like and how it's going to operate i know um, you didn't expect to talk about poop today and we probably didn't expect <laughs> to hear it but trust me it gets more and more interesting <laughs> yeah no poop is a uh, poop is a daily thing it needs to be talked about more why not? Yeah, it does. It does. Um, <laughs> we got to talk a lot, a lot more about the things that don't get talked about daily. But that wasn't the that wasn't the mission, the vision. That was just the first. That was the one that offer out of four. Uh, it was the one offer out of four callbacks out of seventy six off out of seventy six applications. Yeah, that was a wake up call. That was a wake up, wake up call. You know, I had graduated. You know, really kind of feeling myself coming out of college. Like, hey, you know, I I did this. I graduated. Yeah. I finished. You know, I Look have this. Me. I studied under Gupta. this vision. Yeah, exactly. Like, hey, I'm working with Dr. Gupta over here, you know, and it was it was a wake up call that, you know, the real world doesn't, you know, necessarily care about what your your history or your background. It's what can you bring to the table? And if you don't have the set requirements we're looking for, that we can hire a guy with two years of more experience than you um, who, you know, has kind of done what we've you know, what we're asking of him before. This is 2018 for context for folks that yes, haven't looked at your 2018. right? So, yep. you know, it was really, everything was, everything was clicking right. This is pre-pandemic. It was, a. Mm-hmm. if you think it's hard to get a job now, think like 2018 was like everybody was hiring and everybody was on the, on the market. And there's so many, yeah. it was so competitive. It was really hard. And I actually interviewed, I interviewed with Soul Systems they were one of the four that brought me in for an interview. <laughs> Joe Song, uh, interview with Joe Song and a bunch of other, <laughs> a bunch of other soul reps. Didn't end up getting the the position, but they built out, started building out the business development team. And about six months later, while I was at uh, while I was at Itility, um, reached back out to say, "Hey, you know, do you any cha- any changes? <laughs> you know, just trying to get my foot in the door in solar." Uh, and they brought me back for a couple interviews for the business development team. So I want to pause there. Six months later, you said, I'm going to do this again. I'm going to try again. I'm not satisfied where I'm at. And I'm going to reach back out to the folks. I see that they're doing these new things and I'm going mm-hmm. to take the initiative. Yep. Soul Systems was on my top five, really top one <laughs> places I wanted to be just given what the were location the other four? in D.C. Just- just like yeah. play that, play that out for me. What were the other four? Like just for those who might not kind of understand what the stakes sure. were. Disney had a few openings for some kind of sustainability based positions, right. entry level. Clean Choice had you know some some positions. Tom Massey, open. right? Yeah, yeah. Also a DC based company. Were you yeah, looking at yeah, only DC, DC companies? Based. I was trying to stay in DC. That was that was my goal. So Soul Systems how that work out for list. you? Yeah. <laughs> it worked out, uh, ended up, ended up getting the, I guess, second time around the position, uh, and you know, that, that was the step that, that launched my career where I really started mm. learning the ins and outs of so, 
so many parts of the solar industry and, you know, yeah. given the, the fluid team that soul systems is, you know, you had to wear a bunch of hats in your position. And though that's the, was, that's the best type of learning experience. What was the thing you were least prepared for when you joined the team? You thought you'd be like, you could rock it. And then what rocked your world? Uh, I was least prepared for the financial modeling aspect. Uh, uh-huh. And I, I was thrown in a part of, I guess, the second or third interview with Seoul. And usually it just kind of invites you to a super day and we'll just roll people, you know, throughout the interview room. Um, and Andrew Grin came in, who's uh, leads the, the investments finance side now. And, uh, you know, he just popped open his laptop and, you know, tried to walk me through. A, well, before he even said anything about the financial model, he was like, you know, can you tell me what's happening here? What's going on? You know, what are you what looking at inputs mean? I'm looking at the soul systems financial this model in your interview, in my interview. Yep. Man. And, uh, you know, I'm picking up pieces like, okay, well, I know EPC means engineering procurement construction. So this must, yeah. you know, be the cost of, um, the soul, you know, I'm picking up little things, you know, these are wrecks, you know, I guess that's some incentive that you're accounting for, but really kind of how the model worked and, I had no training on that. I didn't take one finance class or economics no class at UVA. So it was just like, you know, what is a bit the, I don't even, is that even a word? Um, no. Now so, I want to pause for a second. Yeah. On, on LinkedIn, your job description says, led proposal rising and writing and designing for solar development, general, generate and analyze financial models for projects, markets, <laughs> including variables such as systems. I think it goes on and on and on, right? Yeah. Analyze, conduct mm-hmm. research, uh, take the lead on RFP and RFI responses. But you walked in knowing nothing about financial modeling. Knowing nothing about it. But that just shows you that the team, the team that Soul Systems was, um, I remember my first couple weeks, uh, Grant Klein uh, sitting me down and you know, we, had, we had our laptop plugged up to a huge monitor and just walking through cell by cell, what this does, what this means, what cell this rolls into. And, you know, things like that, you know, you look back on and you look at the mentors that kind of molded, uh, molded your skill set, and, you know, really can't, can't thank soul systems enough for, for the leaders in that organization who, you know, took the time that saw that I was a sponge and I wanted to absorb and just threw as much at me as they could. Uh, and that's, yeah, I can't thank them enough for that. There's a bunch of stuff that you talk about here and about what took you to Seoul. There's a cool, they did an employee spotlight that I'll link to. We don't need to go through, uh, all of it. And some of the stuff you talked about here is in there, but there's some other stuff that we won't get to kind of like what you do for fun, stuff like that. So I'll link to that. That way others can also find, find out more about Seoul if they're interested. We love that company and, uh, what they stand for. They've done a great job in the industry and I'm grateful for Grant for taking the time. And, uh, and I know that the, the rest of the soul team is too, for, for, Im- and it wasn't imbuing. just Grant. It was, yeah, it was, you know, Austin to butts. It was Will Graves, Chris Daly, Jill Rathke, Sandia, you know, the list goes on. Um, even Yuri giving me book recommendations. Yuri is the founder and CEO. Yeah. It, probably co-founder is probably what they call him. But so you got this unparalleled opportunity what were some of the early lessons beyond financial modeling, which is a skill you had to learn? What were some of the early lessons in development that I know you now are often asked in public and private to share with others who are coming along behind you wanting to know what it looks like to get in this industry? 
What do you share with them about the early lessons in development that helped you really get a grasp of what you of what you'd consider to be solar project development? At Soul Systems, uh, our team was really tasked with a lot of the you know from early stage, you know, looking at just open plots of land and going through the tax parcels to see if this even qualifies, you know, all the way up to talking to the customer, trying to get them to sign a PPA with us. So kind of the first thing that I noticed is, you know, we're in business development meetings, we're talking about ongoing deals. And it's like, okay, you've been talking to this customer for six months and like nothing is, you know, nothing is really moving along. And we're having to change this financial model to, I guess, go with the 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 changes in the industry kind of as the project develops. Uh, and it's just realizing that these timelines are not quick. You know, it's not like we find a qualified site and we talk to the customer and they're gung-ho, even though they're getting paid tens of thousands of dollars a year for this project. That's not the case. And you become more of a solar educator than a business or a salesman. It's like, I have to, this isn't a product that you know anything about really. And that's what most of our customer base, uh, I say, I'd say 60% of our customer base was. And it's like, we have to kind of explain you the value of this product before you can even analyze what we're trying to offer you. It was, you know, taking a step back, it was, it was just understanding how long those, those timelines are. And it taught me a lot of patience, but yeah, also, uh, that, you know, the quicker we can get things done, the better. And <laughs> makes with a yeah, patience with a sense of urgency. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I, yeah, I don't know if that answered, answered the question. It, does. Fully. it totally does. Like, um, so the early lesson in development that everybody has to learn is that this is not software sales, uh, which itself right. at an enterprise level has a long time scale, but a lot of mm-hmm. folks, especially those who maybe come out of Resi and CNI, who think I'm going to take a run at this utility thing, you don't knock <laughs> on a door and get a, cl- a yeah. contract. Resi can be uh, anywhere from let's call it one day to you know two weeks. CNI can be anywhere from one to six months, sometimes longer if you're doing a portfolio deal. Utility starts at a year, like yeah. starts. You do something in shorter time yeah. than a year, and <laughs> everybody's going to be scratching their head wondering what you missed. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Right. <laughs> and yeah, there's just so much diligence involved. And even if you work, and that was that was one of the things that I had to get used to. I am all guns ahead, you know, wanting to succeed at every level where there is a binary option to succeed or fail. And it was getting comfortable with failure. You know, there would be projects where I had worked on them for three, four months and there's no longer interest or it just no longer works economically. It was just getting comfortable with the fact that, okay, I did put a lot of work into this. Um, I stayed up till 2 AM, like for, you know, all week (laughs) trying to get this RFP in or RFI and we didn't win. And that was talk about uh, integrating the learning though, right? Because one of the things that we all have to go through is recognizing we don't win them all. And we've probably have many of us have come up like being the alpha, the a personality, the winner finishing in the top three. How do you integrate the learning without taking, without holding on to the, the anguish of failure? Right. How do you integrate that as a as a as a part of the practice? Right. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. the reality when I often say to my kids, hey, look, 
the greatest baseball players in history have an average failure rate of 60%. Right, right. Right? They're in the Hall of Fame. Six, <laughs> six out of 10 times they come to plate, they fail and they make it to the Hall of Fame. Like failure is life, it's feedback. So talk about letting that failure be feedback instead of letting it be oppressing. Yeah, I had a great uh, mentor in Jeff Miller, who was the head of our business development team. Uh, and he had been in business development and solar sales for decades. And he was also full speed ahead. You know, I want to win every deal. But, you know, being in the industry for decades, he hadn't. And he was very, you know, forthcoming and, and wanted everybody to know that it's the values in the process and not the result. If we have all the bows tied on our process and, you know, can get these out efficiently, effectively, and, you know, we're, we're providing accurate information, we've done the diligence, then we're setting ourselves up for success. And that's the best that, that we can do. It's on the other party to decide, you know, where, where we want to go from there. But we kind of have to put in the diligence within that process. And it's, you know, it's just like, you know, a, an athlete. You know, you're you're training every day, you know, all day. You, you may not win the Super Bowl this year, um, but the time that you put in training doesn't necessarily is that that has helped you that, you know, that it could only hurt you if you hadn't put in that time. And it's just, you know, finding finding success in the process. And by the time that we turned an RFP in or turned a, uh, you know, and tried to, you know, send out an LOI or, or a PPA, it's like, you know, we, we succeeded in putting this together. And now, you know, now the results will, will follow how good our process was. That took a while because I wasn't a process person. I was a results oh, really? person <laughs> at all. Oh, um, wow. And yeah. my process may have been different every time on how, you know, how, we, uh, we, you know, got to a deliverable, but once, once we made our process more efficient and more standard, um, that's when we started seeing more success. And that's something that helped me in my life. Well, Miles, one of the things that people don't think about implicitly, I, I guess, with, with development, I was joking about earlier from your first job at Itility that I'm sure you appreciated at Soul was you knew, you know what it's like to put your boots on, get out in the field. The folks that I know who are really good developers also are able to build rapport in the field, literally in the field, mm. landowners. And, you know, in the Southeast in particular, where you were doing a lot, of, a lot of development, a lot of those landowners are rich white guys that have had these property for generations. In Westchester, New York too. <laughs> that was a big... Well, fair, fair <laughs> enough. Yeah. So yeah. the whole Eastern Same, Seaboard, right? Yeah. <laughs> yep. Talk about being a young black man in development for soul systems, going out, asking these, uh, these ranch owners in many cases for <laughs> the opportunity to, to partner with them and, and, you know, bring solar to their community or their town. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, I remember one trip going up to a company called game on golf, uh, in New York. It was in upstate New York, uh, with William Graves. And I think Jeff, Jeff Miller went to, I, th I think he did, but we were, they wanted to transform. Well, we had the proposal to transform their, driving range into mm, a yeah. solar farm. We had the space, uh, the fine, the economics worked. We were going to pay them a lot of money. <laughs> and I just remember sitting down in that meeting and, you know, taking out the designs and 
the proposal and everything and just sitting there talking them through it. And I mentioned that I had put together design and, you know, put together the PPA price or the the lease amount that we were going to pay them. Like, you know, that's something that I modeled. This is something that, you know, we're, we're presenting to you that came directly from us. And I just remember getting a crazy look like, you didn't design that. Like, you designed this? Like, and it's almost like, you know, just not like I'm not a part of the team. And it's like, oh, you know, he's, oh, okay, now we know he has some, you know, stake in this and he's not just sitting here in the meeting for, you know, and it's, taking notes. Uh, yeah, exactly. It's eye opening. I had a um, man. Yeah. I had a I had a story. Um, you may have heard the interview I did with Paula Gold Williams. She talks about oh, she's raising great. a three. She talks about going to New York, and she walked in, and she was the first person in the meeting. So she just took the first seat that happened to be kind of on the wall. She's just hanging mm-hmm. out, waiting for yeah. people to arrive. She wasn't sitting at the head of the table. Nobody was there, so she right. just kind of sat down. Slowly, people started trickling in. Nobody said anything to her. They, did, they would like sort of nod, but nobody yeah. would greet her. And then her banker walked in, everybody greeted him. And he said, let me introduce you to Miss Paula Williams. We'll be talking about our 3 billion bond today. And the looks on the faces in the room <laughs> when they realized they had basically ignored the customer. Yeah. Right. Um, it's it's just one of those moments that it's one of those moments you think like, this is 20, you know, and that, that, that story was from like, I don't know. 10, 15 years ago, but you know, your story is from three, four years ago. Yeah. Um, three, yeah. Three, three years, years ago. ago. Yeah. You still got a long way to go, Miles. And you're, we do. Uh, we do. You're, but you're, you're doing a tremendous, uh, tremendous job in, in helping us get there. You know, one of the things that we'll come back in a minute to your, the next phase of your career, but really even before you took the next step in your career, you realized that you'd been given an opportunity to uh, help the next generation as you had been helped. Talk about Black Oak Collective a bit and how you conceived of this idea to give, to begin now giving back to your community. Sure. So while I was at Seoul, one of the, and really throughout my career at that point, one of the most eye-opening things or was very apparent in your face was you were kind of one of the only ones in the room, if not the only Black person in the room. And sometimes the only person not white in the room. I realized that, you know, I being that person and wanting to give, you know, the same opportunities and make the process a little easier to get to where I am for the next person, that it was going to take a lot out of me personally to, to do that. Um, and, you know, I had the initiative, um, I think, so Yale had invited me to speak on, uh, and this was kind of while I was in, um, a program there uh, through financing the point clean energy. Um, they'd invited me to speak to some of their um, students of color um, about, you know, my job at Soul Systems and what would I do? What a how do you navigate the clean energy career path for a young professional of color? Like, what does that even look like? That's not you don't even learn about clean energy in college. You can't take a clean energy course as an undergraduate. So, you know, this is not necessarily a career path that's that's talked about or known a lot about especially at that point, you know, that opened the door for me. And I said, Hey, you know, that if Yale is inviting me to come speak about this stuff, like I'm going to reach out to a bunch of colleges and do this on my own and speak to their students about it. That kind of started that initiative and, you know, got to speak at a bunch of schools, UNC, Duke, USC, really all over the country. And it was, it was, and I love that you, so you self, you basically self-promoted to get yourself out on the circuit to raise awareness, but also to elevate your own personal brand. Yeah. Yeah. 
I'm, I'm all about uh, nothing. Nothing great is going to come come to you for something you didn't work for. If I had a plan in place, I wanted to see some change. And uh, I think it's really important to put the, initi- the initiative out there to go and seek that change for yourself. <laughs> and if yeah. you can't, so how did, yeah. And so how did Black Oak come about? And so, so Kira, the executive director of Black Oak, came to, she, I went to UVA with Kira. Um, she graduated a year ahead of me. Um, she reached out to me and another UVA grad, Wes Gobar, about this idea she had. Kira is a very type A, super, you know, super, you know, all, all guns ahead, um, just very energetic. If you ask Kira what her goals are right now, she'd probably give you a list of like 10, you know, very specific things. She's that, she's that person. And she, she's great. So she, she reached out and she had this idea. She would, let me take a step back. Before, um, she had been sending out kind of any job posting that would get sent to her. She would send it out to like the seven black people she knew in sustainability. Like, do you want this? Five, do yeah. you know somebody that wants this? Five of which yeah. already had jobs. So yeah, you know, it's, right. But it's really more this. about disseminate this, right? This right. is the yeah. this is this, this. that butterfly effect. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And she realized that wasn't sustainable. <laughs> so she came to me and Wes and was like, "Hey, I have this idea. We're going to make this landing page with job opportunities for people to come in and you know." provide opportunities for the next generation of, of blacks who want to get involved in sustainability. And we're like, Kira, this is a great idea. And that's something we could easily do, but we could do so much more with that, with that organizational backing. And at this time I'd already started, you know, going, speaking to colleges about clean energy and what that looks like. And I was like, we can, we can roll that into what Black Oak does. We can actually partner with organizations to, not only promote their jobs, but also build out a network of, of Black individuals in sustainability. And that was something we realized didn't really exist um, the more and more research we did. And kind of from there, that bubbled into Black Oak. And we, you know, we had started talking about this in April of 2020, uh, and we launched in November of 2020. So it was, you know, a long thought out process of, do we want to be a nonprofit? Do we want to start as an LLC? What does that look like? How do we want this to transition? Where, where, where are our target areas? Who are our target audiences? And it took a lot of conversations with, you know, people who had already started thinking about what, what this looks like, you know, talking to, to Gilbert, talking to people at CLI, you know, Esther is great. Uh, you know, just trying to just bouncing ideas off of each other, trying to develop into an organization that can make a stamp on building this network of of black people and in black professionals and advocates interested in sustainability, but also providing the resources that they need to succeed. And that was really kind of the big the big push and our our focus um, is that you know we want to provide the utmost opportunities to our members for them to transition smoothly into this. How do they become members? Is it free? Membership is free. Um, students can become members, uh, professional yeah. or, you know, professionals can become members. And then how do you support it? How's Kira get paid? She's executive director. So, I mean, we partner with, with different organizations to, you know, promote their jobs. Um, our job board is a, is a paid, uh, is a paid service. We work with organizations to diversify their candidate so me- pool. Yeah. So let me see, like yeah, sure. League of League of Conservative Voters, 
Opal Creek, Renewable Properties, uh, Einhorn Collab, their Nature Conservancy, they're all paid partners for you to put their jobs up to diversify their candidate pool. Correct. That is amazing. I love this. I love Southern Clean, Southern Alliance for Clean Energy. Look at this. I'm going to read some of these out just so folks sure, can realize. Yeah, like, yeah. Vice President of Finance for the League of Conservative Voters. Yeah, we promote big, big job, entry level jobs. You know, it doesn't matter. Our network is is everybody from students looking for internships mm-hmm. to get their foot in the door yeah. to executives. To, yeah, I mean, if you're listening to this and you're looking to diversify your candidate pool, I just want to like this is not. This whole interview is not to promote Black Oak Collective or their job board. I'm I, I take every opportunity I can though to support where I can something that I think is is worthwhile. Like senior counsel at EDF. EDF this is, is amazing. Climate action Climate Action Policy and Programs Manager at HP. And I'm assuming that's not like Horsepower International. That's like the computer <laughs> company. Yeah. Like yeah. National Wildlife Foundation, the vice president for conservation policy. This is cool. Why isn't NCSEA up here, man? We got to get these guys on the boat. I know Matt's looking for four different positions right now. Uh, we got to we got to get him on the phone. Got to get him on the phone. Where you at, so Matt? Miles, in your in, where you at, Matt? Come on, hook <laughs> it up. In your spare time, my friend, you are finding time to speak at Yale and Duke and UNC and Stanford, and you are still in the grind, boots in the in the mud at Soul Systems. We haven't had a chance to talk about the evolution of my career from Soul Systems to, you know, and we talked about Black Oak a little bit and then what's next. Um, and this is uh, so now we, we did mention at, at the top of the the top of the podcast, um, I'm with Goldman Sachs Renewable Power Group uh, and we're the largest commercial asset solar owner uh, in the U.S. And uh, that's that's not taken lightly at all. Um, and it's, it's never a dull moment. There. Yeah. I'll, so I want to pause for a second. This probably surprises more than a few people listening to the episode right now, even though it, episode 85, we interviewed Mike when green skies sold to Goldman Sachs, it was the largest commercial portfolio in the United States. And at the time it surprised people when Goldman said they're buying green skies, the largest portfolio. And I hear people talk all the time about our friends at EDPR, who are the, probably the largest community solar portfolio owner, mm-hmm. our friends at Sunrun, who are definitely the largest like residential rooftop solar owner. But it's, it, it is amazing to me how under the radar and yet still how uh, entrenched that portfolio that, that you all manage at Goldman still is a gigantic portfolio. Yeah. But, what, but, but more than that, my friend, like I have to tell you, not just me, but like the internet applauded when and even the Soul Systems team must have been just like jaw on the table when you said, I'm going to Goldman Sachs to manage <laughs> risk for their portfolio, because it's almost like this step change for you in yeah. a career. It wasn't well, like, <laughs> I'm going to go develop projects yeah. in the field. I wish it had worked out like that. So I actually, the job that I started, <laughs> the job that I I'd started or was offered at, at uh, where I am now, Goldman, was a rotational analyst position. I was going to have the opportunity to bounce across different teams every three or four months. At this time, there was only about 40 people in the company. So I was going to have the opportunity to learn and kind of entangle or smooth out everybody's process. So, you know, we had enough collaboration. You know, we could, we could do, do things effectively uh, at the end of the day and efficiently. That, mm. that never happened. <laughs> I started, uh, in, did they, did you get headhunted for that role? Yes. Uh, I was, yeah. and they actually snagged two other soul systems guys before me. 
which was pretty interesting. So it was like a trio leaving at the same time, and it wasn't necessarily the best uh, best of circumstances for Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, we'll leave it at that. We'll leave it at that. So but, you were going in, you were going in at an analyst role. How did that quickly evolve or, or devolve into a different type of position? Yeah. So I um, was supposed to be working with these different teams and started in, you know, managing our insurance program and uh, looking at different risk involved with finance uh, and development and construction stages uh, of what we do and just kind of continued to grow in that role and really made that into a role that was very forward facing within the organization and didn't really see the, you know, the, the benefit that would have to the organization stepping out and having to relearn something brand new, you know, and having to go through a learning curve just to then jump to another department. And at the pace that we were moving, um, it just wasn't, it wasn't feasible. Uh, it was, you know, I would have to train somebody of what I was doing and then just to come back to it, maybe possibly. So that evolved into kind of my full, my full role within a few months. And, uh, this, this this past month was uh, promoted to the associate level for, to do the same thing. Um, so it's, it's been, it's been a rodeo, uh, and, one of the, I deal with the green skies portfolio a lot. <laughs> uh, every time there's an emergency, an incident on site, I'm the person that's called. Thank God Andrew <laughs> Chester doesn't get a call. <laughs> he does not uh, want to hear from you, Miles. Don't yeah. call Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No one wants to hear from me. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. 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 Hey, you know, it's becoming commonplace to hear that energy storage is the key to deploying renewables at scale. But if you've tried to put storage on a commercial solar project ever, then you realize it's easier said than done until now. Look, I've seen many energy storage solutions for commercial buildings as a solar project developer in my 15 years in the industry, but Yada Energy's storage product just scratches that developer itch of fit, function, and ease to install. Yada's PV-coupled ecosystem of solar plus storage solutions integrates seamlessly right behind the solar panel. In fact, it elegantly replaces the need for a ballast as it nests right into the racking on a flat roof install. Even better, Yada's integrated storage technology can enable up to 60% more solar to be employed on commercial buildings. With commercial buildings consuming 35% of electricity, that means that Yada is finally helping business owners and solar installers alike make a serious dent in the commercial sector's massive carbon emissions. Yada Energy is poised to meet the growing demands of electrification by maximizing solar plus storage without taking up additional valuable commercial real estate for your customers. To find out how Yada Energy can bring storage to your CNI rooftop project, visit mysuncast.com forward slash Yada. That's Y-O-T-T-A. Yada Energy, an elegant and revolutionary approach to solar plus storage. Are you in the Massachusetts solar market? Well, if you are, I have an exclusive partnership opportunity I'd like to talk with you about related to the Massachusetts Smart Energy Program. Please feel free to email me, nico at mysuncast.com, if the following applies. We're looking for folks with system sizes between 5 kilowatts and 500 kilowatts in the Eversource and National Grid service areas. We can help convert disqualified leads and turn them into revenue. We're looking for turnkey EPC services and success fees can be paid at agreed upon milestones. We'll help you convert unqualified solar leads and turn them into revenue. No credit or utility bill required. 
and we can work on all kinds of different properties. Small commercial, rental property, places of worship, schools, multifamily, condos, strip malls. Yeah, all of those places that you have heretofore been unable to put solar because they're unqualified or even residential leads that have DQ'd. And maybe you're a lead gen provider or know someone. All these types of projects we'd love to help you with. And we can give you more information if you want to reach out to me at nico at mysuncast.com and mention Massachusetts Smart Energy Program in the subject line. Talk to me about a day in the life right now as an associate doing risk management for the largest portfolio of, of CNI assets in the United States. It's long days. Uh, you know, there's emergencies that, that pop up when you least expect them. You're dealing with a portfolio of over 150 single site assets. Um, and some of those are 100 kilowatts. Some of those are 389 megawatts with a 540 megawatt hour battery storage system. It's a learning process too. I'm fortunate to have a great, a great insurance team that has a lot of risk experience. So when, you know, when I need to know, okay, lightning was the the largest cause of our, our losses over the past four years, how do we how do we mitigate this? They have engineers, you know, working on a, a, a lightning white paper, uh, you know, so, you know, just having good, uh, good people in your corner that have the, the professional experience that have just, you know, see that you're a sponge and throwing as much on you as possible has just made me be able to do, do my job at a, a higher level. Um, so the, the day in the life, it, you know, there's always something happening you know, if you have 850 assets, the chances that something is going wrong at one, very high. Uh, so we look at, uh, it's, it's really my job to look at if, if there's a production loss issue or some sort of incident that leads to property damage, how are we going to mitigate that? And then how, what the, based on the root cause of that, you know, we're actively building projects. In 2021, we were the largest, uh, we were constru- we had the largest construction portfolio in, in solar in the country. And when we see issues with our, with our operating assets, it's like, okay, how do we mitigate this issue and roll that mitigation plan into the assets that we're currently building so we don't see these ever again? Um, and that's a lot of my role is taking kind of everything that we're learning from just things that are, you know, not necessarily the positive things happening to assets where we do see underperformance. How do we, how do we integrate that in? And sometimes it's just, uh, you know, we were a little too aggressive on these, these few assumptions and we probably need to dial back if we want to see the performance that we, you know, want to, that we're expecting. Um, Grant Klein, you hear that? You hear the impact (laughs) you're having on uh, Goldman Sachs now? He actually learns, he knows how to tweak the model. (laughs) <laughs> I well, it. I don't tweak the model. I just talk to the investment <laughs> team and like, guys, it's a little aggressive. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're like, hey, this dial. Um, I have a question that probably some, uh, some of the project development folks would love for me to ask. How do you, in the risk mitigation department, ensure against losses? And I want to make sure while you're thinking about what you can say, I want to make sure people understand risk mitigation for a portfolio this large is against the loss of revenue, not necessarily like the loss of assets and not necessarily like a loss of time or, or even life, which are all things we don't want to lose. I, but I deal with as that an too, IPP. Yeah. But yeah, but yeah, this, right. yeah, we're mainly looking at property damage and loss of revenue. So the way power market insurance works is you have 
your total insured value of an asset, which is equal to the replacement cost to fully replace that asset and the annual revenue that you're expecting from that asset. So when there is downtime, um, and typically there's a deductible period of, or a waiting period, they call it, um, where, you know, it has to be down for a certain amount of time before, and that is kind of equivalent to a deductible before you can file a claim with insurance. But we're able to claim back portions of that revenue that that we lost. You know, the we're accounting for all of our systems to receive photons as the sun emits them. And when our systems aren't, you know, on, we can't we can't do that. We can't convert those photons into electricity. And since we can't sell that electricity, uh, we're losing money. Um, that's lost revenue that we accounted for. So we do protect those revenue streams. Um, and we're able to, you know, claim, claim those. And when there is property damage, when there are events like hurricanes, uh, wildfires, I'm typically the person tracking the natural disaster and juxtaposition to our assets to say, Hey, um, guys, this is really bad, but at 5 PM, the a wildfire is likely going to hit this asset. And we're going to expect these type of losses. That's like actuarial stuff, but almost, you know, that's amazing. <laughs> It's, it's fun. Yeah. Are you working with some of the more, um, well, some are pretty direct, like straightforward products and others are esoteric, like the energetic insurance and resurities of the world? Mm, so we're, we're not, we, we work directly with, um, with power markets. You know, I can, you know, big uh, power uh, specific, like clean energy insurance uh, company, something like a Axis or Albus um, that, that, that we work with to insure our assets. But, um, you know, there are a lot of interesting, interesting products out there like KWH analytics, for example, where you're able to protect assets in, in different ways with, with different contingencies. So yeah, there's, there's just a lot of stuff out there that, you know, Goldman is also open to as, as we look to expand risk management. You know, you talked a lot at soul systems about the, the, the help, the mentorship you're, now at a new, a new level, a new phase of your career, do you still get a sense of mentorship and guidance or are you very much expected to stand on your own and, and fend for yourself? I thought it was going to be the latter <laughs> and uh, it kind of had started like that, honestly, but I was able to find some great mentors uh, within the organization. Um, Mo Hanafi for one, uh, who leads our power markets team has been, you know, just an awesome help in uh, and he was actually promoted to managing director at Goldman uh, recently as well, which is a big, big next step for him. So very, very proud of him. But yeah, no, he's, uh, you know, having a lot of, you know, decades of experience and another one of those uh, solar vets uh, and, you know, trading vets, um, just being able to, you know, pick up the phone and call them whenever I need to, to say, hey, you know, I have... I have this idea. Do you think I can present this to the uh, investment committee sometime in a couple of weeks? You know, and he's he gives constructive criticism too, which I appreciate. You know, have the utmost respect for, and you know, is someone who who will tell you, "Hey, this is a good idea, but you need to think about this and this a little uh, a little differently." Is so much more valuable than someone in your corner who's saying, yeah, that's a great idea. Let's, let's do it. You know, let's just go, you know, guns ahead. And so I'm not looking crazy in that, you know, investment committee meeting. So people like that are just really invaluable, uh, especially 
you know, those that have, you know, really close ties to the organization know a lot, you know, of what's, what's bubbling, what's happening, just, you know, having that sounding board is really helpful. So yeah, I, I've been fortunate to find some great mentors in, on our team. So Miles, one of the things I like to ask that, uh, you know, I feel like put people on the spot, but I especially like to put folks on the spot like you who have been in on the stage in the public eye, who have thought about the consequence of your, your platform and your ability to draw attention and, and, and speak on behalf of others. And so I'd love to know if given the opportunity, what would your TED talk be about? So uh, my role right now is all risk looking at how could we possibly get this wrong? And my TED talk would really be about the conundrum that we face in the clean industry, in energy industry of trying to slow down and stop global warming. That's the end goal. Will we get there? The world may never know. But, you know, dealing with that, that goal while we're being affected by the effects of climate change at the same time. And you look at the type of losses that have affected the industry when it comes to hail, wildfire, even severe thunderstorms and hurricanes and non-hurricane seasons uh, that are more severe than they're really supposed to be and reaching areas that they've never reached before, originating in you know areas of the Atlantic that they've never originated before. Um, so we're dealing with all these new challenges while we're trying to fix the root cause of the problem. And the, <laughs> we're seeing the climate effects, the climate effects that are affecting the very assets meant to slow down climate change. Exactly. Exactly. And it's only going to get worse as climate change, as global warming continues to worsen. Um, we're expecting, so TUV uh, is a, a risk uh, organization and they have a clean energy team that looks at clean energy risk. And they predicted that, 56% of projects during construction in 2022 will be canceled or delayed just due to supply chain issues and other factors like having to rebuild projects because of anticipated natural disasters. So, you know, this is something that we're actively dealing with and actively looking to mitigate. And sometimes that's just like, okay, you know, even though this deal really works, we can't build here because the chances that we have to replace this whole system from a hailstorm is just too great. You know, there's the 15% chance that it happens in 25 years is not something is, you know, sometimes it's not the risk, you know, it's not at your risk appetite level. So it's, it's really, you know, yeah. You know, it's funny. And like, I bet you a bunch of people, we've had a very, very, very recent activity that probably scared the bejesus out of a lot of solar all owners that many folks listening to this never even thought about. But you and I, having developed utility scale solar, have thought about it because every time we come up with a P90, we have to consider that one volcano that erupted in 1992 that threw a black cloud around the earth for three days, right? Yeah. <laughs> so how did the recent how did the recent volcanic eruption impact, at least in your world, the way that you guys like now have to reimagine the reality of a global impact of volcanic ash. Yeah. And it's, it, I mean, it's not just volcanic ash. It's when there's a wildfire, not anywhere close to our assets and the smog from the wildfire just makes its way down South or up North to, you know, hover right over, you know, a big portion of the asset and that extremely affects our, 
what you know the amount of electricity we can produce um so it's accounting yeah, it for your customers yeah exactly and it's it's something you have to account for or at least try to because it's mm. not you know yeah it's not things that we can predict you know just because it's in a a 50 something is uh, asset is in a 50 year floodplain uh, you know you can get a major flood tomorrow <laughs> and uh, you know when it was and analyzed so. yeah when it was analyzed as a 50 year floodplain uh there they probably didn't account for the current natural disaster state of the earth <laughs> yeah you know? and we're um, seeing yeah and we're seeing floods in places that are, are a thousand year floods exactly exactly right. you mentioned is it tuv that was looking at this mitigation so tuv who was the organization um, yeah yeah tuv TUV is in tennessee the yeah oh tuv rhineland no, okay yeah they're um they're actually a european-based company i want to say yeah. yeah yeah tuv rhineland i'm pretty sure is what it's called yep yep you're you're 100 percent cool yeah and they they release a bunch of articles if you, could, if you could link me to if you could link me to some of the impact uh studies they're doing that'd be great i'll see if we can find it but yeah um, no sure they have a bunch of um they have a bunch of articles well Let's talk a bit about, you've talked a bunch about mentors, but I'd love to know if you think about the solar industry and there are a lot you could probably choose from, but who, when I say success story, who immediately comes to mind? Gilbert Campbell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Tell me about Gilbert. Uh, Gilbert's great. Um, and it's, it's funny. I actually, during, when I was in college, uh, looking for a job, looking for an internship, I got on the phone with Gilbert. I found Volt Energy as a developer in DC. and I was like, dude, this is incredible. How do I sign up? Like, how do I get involved with Vault Energy? Um, I'm looking to just get my feet wet. And um, he, I feel like he really appreciated the initiative uh, that I had there um, and has been a mentor since. And I didn't never, you know, really worked for, uh, for Vault Energy or Gilbert, um, but directly, directly, <laughs> directly. But, but it definitely helped them out with a bunch of stuff. And uh, Gilbert, you know, too, and just having that mentor in your corner, uh, you mentioned earlier, you know, someone who is recently, you know, on the you know, Fortune 500 or whose company is, has made a Fortune 500 entrance as a Black entrepreneur who started this thing from, uh, you know, coming from a, a, a background from, from Howard University and just also having the initiative to reach out and learn about uh, what's happening in the industry, you know, not necessarily having a engineering background and, you know, starting in, in finance and just slowly making his way here, I think has just been an incredible success story. And to see the things that he's accomplished, uh, is just, uh, really motivating. I don't think I've ever asked this question because it just occurred to me. One of the values of reading books and having mentors is to learn things that they've done that you don't yeah. have to go through. Yeah. What has Gilbert gone through that now you don't have to you know there there will be a time in place where eventually i go and do my own thing that's i think that's what i that's my calling i think that's what i want to do um it's not that i don't like working for other people i just rather do it for myself than someone else um look at our industry man it's a natural evolution you know and i think once i get to that stage you know that's something that gilbert has gone through having to find lenders investors you know, different mm-hmm. partners to actually build the projects, um, partners in DEI to affect the community around those projects. That's, that's something that I know he has resources for and that, you know, he would pour onto me. He already has um, some of those. And that's a huge hurdle for any entrepreneur is to find capital 
to find partnerships. And totally. I know that that's going to be a hurdle for me, but it's not going to be as big as it was for, for Gilbert because he's gone through that. Yeah. You know, you speak a lot on the topic of diversity, equity, inclusion. You know, it's Black History Month now. I feel like there's a lot of stuff out. Uh, I have an episode with uh, my friend Derek about the vulnerability that we have to approach uh, as, you know, I'll say like, I'll speak for myself, white men around not knowing what we don't know about how to, to do this better. Uh, there's not necessarily a do this right. Mm-hmm. What have you learned in the last 18 months being essentially like on the circuit, one of the folks that gets called on a lot to talk about DE&I, talk about what you, what changes you see, what changes you still hope to see mm-hmm. and how we could do this better. I think there's a lot of room for improvement. When I started my career, I was typically the only in the the only black person in the room. Um, if not, you know, and it, definitely a unique situation at Soul Systems where one of the co-founders, George Ashton, uh, is black. So that was that was a uh, interesting situation. Even though he wasn't as involved um, when I started, but there's a lot there's a lot of room for improvement there. But I do see the improvement happening. You see that through various programs across the industry. When you look at uh, the CLI fellowship and, you know, them coming to black Oak to say, Hey, we want black Oak members. We want, you know, every, we want people in your network to apply to this fellowship and we're going to waive the application fee and, you know, take, you know, spend, spend time looking at their stuff because these are the type of people that we want to integrate into this, into this industry. Um, and I think just the, and CLI releasing an RFP to, develop, try and develop DEI strategy um, within the industry. You see SIA releasing several DEI, uh, DEI reports about, you know, how the involvement of, of different races in the industry and what they're doing. I think that's, that's, those are interesting studies, but you see more and more people accepting the fact. And, and one of the unique things about the clean energy industry is most of us are very liberal and we see, you know, we, we want this sort of, we want this involvement. We want this change. Um, there are industries where it's the exact opposite. And it's like, you know, we're not necessarily looking for that. And, you know, that makes my job easy at Black Oak when I'm reaching out to say, hey, we'd love to help you think about how you can create a, a Black internship program, you know, things like this. And everybody's receptive to it. There's never a you know, that's not really something we're interested in, or that's not something we're looking at. We don't have the time for that. It's always a yes, where do we start? Uh, and that's, that's something that's really unique about this industry that, that I, I definitely appreciate. What about this, man? And like real talk sure. here, right? Like I grew up on a farm. Uh, I grew up in a town where I still, as a kid, you know, I, it took me a long time to realize that I was racist, right? Long time. Now I knew all that? the people I grew up with. I knew all the people I grew up with were racist, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's no doubt. Uh, there were blacks versus whites fights in my school, mm. like mass fights. Wow. Wow. Um, I grew up in a real poor rural farm town. Some of my best friends are and were black. Um, but my family were the farmers and my friends were the helpers. And I feel like we still have a sense in this industry that like you are breaking through this glass ceiling, right? Sure. Yeah. Gilbert, Gilbert too. There's, I still get this sense in the industry, go around at the trade shows and like somehow like 
the people of color are in the field with their work boots on. Right. Right. And it's the, and they aren't the Ivy league educated model financial modelers. Right. Right. How do you see that changing? Yeah. I think clean energy, the, the industry is very aware that the pipeline of black candidates into these roles needs to be bolstered or needs to be developed in order for us to reach the place we want to reach. We can't just pull clean energy experts out of the air. We have to train them. We have to go tell them that these, this industry actually exists. Um, We know everybody in your class is going to JP Morgan to be an investment banker, but with that same knowledge, you can do this at a, at a, uh, a solar developer um, or a financier. Let's flip the script though. You didn't get in at Seoul, not because you're black, but because you didn't have the requirement that most of the black qualified people also don't have. And that's two or five years mm-hmm. of experience. Mm-hmm. This, this not requirement, our friend Matt Hankey has said it takes six months to take an educated person and train them on solar. Yeah, that's, that's about and that average. timeline is condensing. That's, quickly, that's average. Right? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So, so I, I posit Mm -hmm. that it is our own doing in the HR department unwittingly. Absolutely. We're, we're creating false, false readings on the can't find candidate Mm -hmm. scale. Right. Right. Because we're telling people they need to have two years experience, which is bullshit. Mm -hmm. Thank God for soul systems, bringing someone in who they didn't say in the interview, you have to be able to read this financial model. Right. I I wouldn't have gotten the job. job. You're you're one of the most hyper-qualified candidates in the market today because they believed in you exactly. and they trained you exactly. on the job where we need more of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, it just comes down to taking, taking a chance on somebody and not looking at the skill set they have, but the skill set that they're able to develop um, and looking at their yeah. track history of, of learning quickly. And um, yeah. if someone is passionate uh, about something, you know, chances are they're going to, yeah. they're going to give it their best shot and be effective so true. in the role. You've come across a lot of folks trying to figure this out. Is there a tool resource? What one thing like should be on my desk, should be in my inbox, should be at my disposal to give them or that we, through this communication can instruct them to go do that, that would help make this more tangible, more pra- practical. Yeah. Two things. Sign up for the Black Oak okay. newsletter and then check the black oak job board is frequently our budding opportunities page we do a lot of tree puns for black oak which is actually the national or the province tree of dc um also called the scarlet oak um but check that as often as possible we are putting up you know two five postings like every day (laughs) so uh you know the environment is i'm not surprised man i get that many i get that many requests and i'm not a recruiter (laughs) yeah you know and it's, uh, you know, we lot. want to provide opportunities. Um, and with our newsletter, we, mm-hmm. we do fireside chats with black folks who have excelled in sustainability and want to share their experiences with other, you know, members, non-members looking to excel and looking to launch their careers or learn about different ways they can get involved in sustainability. Um, we recently did, you know, a, a panel on black sustainability in media and or black, I guess, media, black, black people in sustainable media. And Uh it was, yeah, it was an awesome, uh, awesome panel with a bunch of insights. And it's like, I had no idea that, you know, different news, like, for example, um, 
Vox has a whole, you know, a climate panel that's led by that the climate writing is led by a black writer. Um, and just hearing about how their career paths have developed and got them to the seat that they're in now, it's it's like this is almost identical to my path or similar, but just on a different parallel. You know, it's we're all, you know, in the same uh, have the same mindset in this thing. And that's really what makes the the network beautiful is when you see, um, you know, other people who are just as passionate about something slightly different, but still have the same objectives yeah. uh, and, you know, still, still are striving to succeed and be the, the token in their, their sub industry. Um, I think that's, I love it. It's awesome. Mm. Man. I love that. And we've talked about this off camera, but that you openly, you know, use and acknowledge this, uh, opportunity to be a token, like to, somebody's got to be. I'm a realist. I know that's the, what, from you know, a lot of other people's perspectives, that's what I am. Yeah, man. Um, and Rosa Parks, man, like somebody's yeah. got to sit down on the bus. Exactly. Someone's got to do it. And I know that the mentors who have helped me get here um, can, you know, gladly wear that badge on their backs too, and say, "Hey, you know, totally. we we help mold him into this." Yeah. Uh, that's what makes me completely. Happy. Yeah, we laugh about we laugh a lot about that being Gilbert too. Man. That dude is <laughs> yeah. like you said. He's killing it. And he is, a, he is the, the token guy breaking into the fortune 500 yeah. and, and carrying the banner for that. This is not, uh, that, that we who can do this well, do not have to look like those who have always done this well. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. I have to, I want two recommendations from you. Uh, I believe that leaders are readers and readers are leaders and what books have had a huge impact in my life and the, our Suncast tribe loves to read. So, okay. What book have you recommended or gifted the most and why? Oof. Um, and it's actually one Doesn't of the books. Doesn't matter category. Yeah. It could be fiction or nonfiction. Yeah, I'll, I'll give two. Um, one book Yuri mm-hmm. recommended to me, Yuri Horowitz at Soul Systems, and yeah. was a big, um, was had a big impact on, impact on my entrepreneur, entrepreneurial mind and how you look at people, how people are managed. And, you know, so the, the name of the book is Let My People Go Surfing by, uh, ah, yeah. you know, the founder of Patagonia, I, I think it's, it's just a great, uh, it's a great lesson on how to treat people that you care about, but also that you work with and how does, how does that, how, I guess, how do you, how to navigate that ecosystem while also giving as much positive reinforcement as possible and encouraging, encouraging your people to, you know, live their lives. They're still, they're humans, you know, everybody's a human. And I think that gets lost a lot in the, you know, I'm this top dog, big executive. This is my company. You need to do everything I say. Um, you have to be here, you know, whenever I want you to be here when that's not the best way to, to manage people, uh, or to work with people. Okay. So, uh, that, that book was great. Yeah. Yvonne Chenard, by the way, yes, for those Yvonne, heard yeah. that book, it's the founder of Patagonia. Such an amazing book. The other book I read recently, and I'm big into sci-fi, dystopia, space travel stuff. I'm, I'm a nerd. I saw you say that, yeah. <laughs> Project Hail Mary was so good by Andy Weir. And he also wrote The Martian, but it tells the story of this, and this is you know super sci-fi. There's this bacteria that has come from another planet and is kind of eating the sun's photons they're eating yeah. the sun's energy and diminishing the sun, which is having an impact on the earth, of course, and causing this it's a nightmare yeah, for us. Right. Exactly. 
Um, we are used to getting Literally. over the last billions of years, a certain amount of radiation hitting the surface. Um, and that wasn't happening. So he had to make this, all the humans got together and put together this, you know, travel, um, this space travel plan, building this awesome spaceship, taking this guy to Whoa. the planet where this bacteria was coming from. And he meets uh, an alien in the process. And it's just, it's just such a good book. I, I'm a big fan of Andy Weir and what he's done. Hopefully it comes, it turns into a movie like the Martian did. Yeah. I loved the, the Martian. And uh, now I'm definitely adding project Hail Mary. I've recently gotten really, really into Neil Stevenson. Okay. I don't know if you've read in snow crash, read snow crash. Um, I haven't. Uh, certainly about time your episode comes out. Uh, Michael Burrs, who's the founder of NZINC uh, recommended that book to me and it totally twisted my mind. I was hanging out with my friend, Josh Brooks here, uh, who used to be the um, chief of staff for, uh, for Amory Lovins. And he is a huge fan and he's got apparently this guy, Neil Stevenson. Uh, well, first of all, I came up with the term metaverse since I know you <laughs> like dystopian sci-fi. Nice. You will want to read this book because it, it is one of those books that's like in the top five for, you know, the, the likes of Reed Hoffman. Okay. And, um, okay. And, and many Snow others. Crash? Valley. So, Snow Crash. Snow Crash. Yeah, okay. Neil Stevenson. Yeah. And he's got another book for those of you that are into like how sort of, he basically wrote a book that essentially created in the nineties, this, the, the, like the economy around cryptocurrency. It's called Cryptonomicon. Wow. And uh, yeah, he also wrote, he was a, a principal advisor for Blue Origin. Okay. Wow. And so he wrote a book on like the, the creation of Blue Origin. Like and like with the, Bezos on the, the search and the search to be an extra, an extra planet, planetary species. Wow. So, that's right up my yeah, alley. So if you, you should just go. I know. I'm telling you, you should go <laughs> check it out. Um, well, how about the way you sort of carry yourself throughout the day? Do you have a morning or evening routine that defines how you show up? Absolutely. I start with my mantra as soon as I wake up. Attack this day. Treat it as a standalone opportunity to maximize the talents he's given you. You're an unstoppable force, unflappable in the face of obstacles. Go fulfill your mission. Go fulfill your purpose. And once I say that in the morning, I can't be stopped. I just can't, um, I start, start, start my workout, you know, get some, uh, I'm creatine loading right now, you know, that's turned me into a monster. And then when I get to work, it's just all, you know, <laughs> guns ahead. Um, and it's, it's what I love to do. So it's work is energizing for me. It's a fun pace. It's like, it's like you've been practicing, you know, for something all week. And then you finally have like the football game. You're finally going out there and, and playing. And my career right now is exactly kind of what I had dreamed it would look like when I was in high school and in middle school. So the fact that I get to live that out um, is just so energizing that it's, I mean, work is a part of my routine. So um, that's, that has to be mentioned, but um, definitely got to have my, my, my daily cardio, daily lift, my mantra and uh and work and uh then I'll always wind down with i'll do a serial killer doc or something like that that i'm really interested in or you know something like that to to, to cool off after the the energizing work day well miles i'm energized just having a chance to sit here and learn from you i'm more than certain that a number of folks are going to want to take action here after listening to this episode but if they wanted to reach out to you directly, what's the best way to do that? And then what breadcrumbs would you leave for them again on how to find Black Oak Collective? Email me at miles at blackoakcollective.org. 
you know, a bunch of people reach out daily. Like, how do I, how do I get involved? How do I navigate, you know, this industry? I'm not necessarily interested in clean energy, but I'm interested in sustainable agriculture. And I know that's something that you all have talked about. How do I get involved? Um, and we have a bunch of mentors that are in our network um, that we love connecting uh, people with to, you know, help them realize the next steps in their careers. Um, this is not, this is not an easy thing. Clean energy, you know, just sustainability in general is, you know, I hate to say it, but it's still burgeoning. Uh, and you know, the chances are slimmer that someone has done what you want to do, but there are people out there <laughs> and the more that we can connect those people, uh, and just create a space, uh, you know, for, for that collaboration and, uh, you know, to happen, you know, the, the better off that, that will be. And the more that pipeline will grow. Well, Miles, I know so, I know so many are inspired by you and we'll take you up on that offer. Let's end today as we always do with what I call a bold prediction. What one thing do you see happening that maybe nobody else is tracking in their future? What's in your crystal ball? I don't, I don't know if I necessarily have a, a crystal ball. Um, what's, what's going to happen in the future. I definitely will talk to, I talk to my team about, you know, natural disasters and Hey, you know, we really need to be watching out for this year because the wildfires that we saw last year is not an anomaly. It's no longer 100 year wildfires. They're active things. And as much as I hate predicting catastrophic events, we're going to see more than we did last year. So we have to be on our toes. We have to be protecting our assets and we have to be building contingencies into the assets that we're building. So that's my job, but that's also something I'm very realizing of because I have done the research and I have seen it firsthand. So this is my, my risk message to all the developers out there. I love it. That's really wise. Uh, natural disasters are no longer anomalies, says Miles. And we're going to see more catastrophic events year over year. And we got to build that into our mitigation plan for our infrastructure. Miles Braxton is associate risk manager for Goldman Sachs Renewable Power Group. And he's also co-founder of Black Oak Collective. I have so enjoyed this conversation. I know that you all have. I want to say thank you once again, Miles, for joining us on Suncast. Thanks for having me, Nico. Always, always a pleasure to chat with you, man, whether on the podcast or not. <laughs> all right, Solar Warrior. Well, that's a wrap on today's conversation. And it was a deep one, uh, one where I even got a little choked up. And I'm really grateful for my friend, Miles. I'm grateful for the opportunity to really understand and learn from a young man that I think is wise beyond his years, someone that I admire and that I know a bunch of you do as well. If you didn't before, well, you do now. If you're eager to keep learning, and I know you are, my fellow Philomath, well, you can find the resources and highlights and even the book recommendations that you just heard from Miles all over at mysuncast.com, where we also link back to his social media and we'll link back to the Black Oak Collective, all the ways that you can find out more about Miles and how you can learn to diversify your staff as well. Since I know you're going to be hopping online, would you mind sharing this episode with someone that you think needs to hear it, please? The place that I like to be found is on LinkedIn, and I often see Miles on there as well. And I know it's going to be a real treat for Miles to hear from you how this episode resonated with him. You'll find a post that we've made of this episode. I'd love it if you just leave a like and a comment, and that as well helps us get found. Hope you'll tune in again next week for our Tactical Tuesdays and these practical long-form Thursday interview episodes where we go deep with the bright minds that are expanding our horizons here as the clean economy and the clean energy transition take hold. 
in 2022. Thanks once again, and finally to our sponsors for helping make this content free to you. You can learn more about their offers as well as how you could partner with us on Suncast at mysuncast.com forward slash sponsor. Remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle. 